Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Can we welcome everyone joining us online and give them a hand? We're grateful for you. You are a very, very special part of us, whether you're at home or joining us at Jeffco Jail, wherever that is, you are a part of us, and we love you very much. Before I get into the message today, I do just have a, a couple announcements um, be- before, um, once I can get my iPad to orient, there we go. Um, we are starting 21 Days of Prayer tomorrow. Everybody say tomorrow. So it's going to be a great time of 21 days of leaning into God and believing Him. If you have never written down a list that you want God to move in your life and you need Him to move in your life and, you're, and you want to lean into Him, let me ask you to do this over the next 21 days. Make your list. Start writing things that you're going to be praying and asking God to move and to do in your life. He is faithful to do that. And God invites us to pray. He invites us to seek His face. So together as a church over the next 21 days, we're going to be leaning into God. And so we have prayer cards that when you walked in and here as well, also you can get on our app at Faith Arvada and you can look it up. Our, our logo is, is on there when you go to the app store. Download that and all of the, the things about prayer and the prayer points each day are on there as well as an op- a place to give us your prayer request. And so we would be honored to be able to stand with you over the next 21 days together as a community, together as a church. And so what that means also for the next three Wednesdays from 6.30 to 7, we're going to be right here in the Family Worship Center seeking God for an hour going to have a time of worship and a time of prayer. If you're like, you know, I can't come the whole hour. It's okay. Come for 20 minutes. Come for 10 minutes. You will not come and be like, well, that was a waste of time. You won't say that and it will be very, very powerful. More than any other time that I have, have ever known in my life, we need to seek God in prayer. We need to seek him on behalf of each other. We need to seek him on behalf of our, of our nation. We need to seek him on behalf of what God wants to do in our lives. And he's inviting us to do that. So let me encourage you. Um, get your prayer requests in, especially today, so we can pray for them on Wednesday. Um, the worship and prayer nights, three next three Wednesdays. And you can do that at Faith Arvada. Or sorry, the app Faith Arvada or faith.church. If I say amen. amen. So we are concluding our sermon, our series on the sermon of the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus. And Jesus has been challenging us deeply over the last several, several weeks as we've leaned into the words of Jesus and we've listened to Jesus correct some wrong understandings about the Bible, about life, about God. And we've heard Jesus like go deep and we've heard him speak particularly to the culture he was speaking to at the time who the law of Moses, that God gave the law through Moses for a purpose, but they had some misunderstandings of the law. And Jesus talks about the righteousness that he offers in his kingdom. Jesus, this whole sermon is about those who are following him. Those who call themselves followers of Jesus. Those who call themselves Christians. And Jesus is speaking into our lives and the lives of those listening about a righteousness in our lives that cannot come by your doing, cannot come by your actions, cannot come by you doing things perfectly. It can only come by the grace of God that you don't receive or walk in your righteousness. You receive and walk in Christ's righteousness. He makes us righteous. We cannot make ourselves righteous. Amen. And that's what Jesus is reminding us. And, and from that, and from that position of heart, supernaturally, we're able to, to walk in being poor in spirit, meaning that we, we are very aware of our need for God. That the meek and the merciful, that as, they, as a heart of righteousness in Christ, we begin to be merciful. We begin to have a meekness and a humility. We begin to have a pure heart, but none of that is done because of you. That is done because of the transformation work of Christ in our lives. So this is what Jesus has been speaking to us about. And so he invites us to become citizens of the kingdom. And once we are in the kingdom, then he's laying the foundation of what it means to be in the kingdom. What should be in our lives. That now that we are in the kingdom, we are now salt and light in a world that desperately needs us to be. Salt preserves, 
Salt heals. And if you're anything like me, I think salt makes everything taste better, right? And so we're to make things better because we're around, because we're salt of the earth. We're to preserve things that need to be preserved. We're to, we're to heal things that need to be healed. That's what our call is. We're to be lights that in a world of darkness are longing to find a light. And we're to be representatives of Jesus. We're to reflect and shine the light of Christ in a broken, hurting world. And so as Jesus was giving us instructions about what it means to be a follower, he was correcting, as I said earlier, wrong thinking about the law of God. And at the time, the culture only looked at the Bible as, as very surfacey things. In other words, it, is, it, it was all about our actions, but not the heart. And so Jesus was getting to correcting the heart, correcting how they saw the Bible, correcting how they saw the actions of the hand. Like for them, yes, do not murder, which is one of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, that's wrong. But Jesus said, I want to deal with the anger of the heart that would lead someone to murder. Or the culture at the time acknowledged and dealt and, and, and would say that the act of adultery is sin. Yes, that's what the Ten Commandments says. But Jesus said, hang on a second. Yes, adultery is a sin, but I want to deal with, with what's going on in your heart in the areas of lust. What would lead you to commit adultery? This is Jesus pulling back the curtains of our hearts, getting down to the core, really, of who we are. Why would he do that? Because he wants you to live a life that's actually worth living. Jesus said, I came so that you can have life to the fullest. And a life to the fullest is just not a, a life that does the right things on the outside. A life to the fullest is a life that has been made whole, that has peace on the inside, peace of mind, that has a pure heart. And that's what Jesus is leading us to. He wants to get to the core of who we are. He wants us to live life not from the outside in. He doesn't want us to see, look, I look good, but on the inside we're full of anger, we're full of filth, we're full of lust, we're full of murder. Jesus says, that's not real life. That's fake life. He tells the Pharisees at one point who, that's they lived their whole life to look perfect on the outside. He said, you are like white painted tombstones. You are full of dead bones, but you look good on the outside, but you stink on the inside. And Jesus is continuing to lead us to being the people we really want to be. But again, let me remind you that any of this that Jesus is dealing with is not about you doing it right. It's about you surrendering your heart that God can make your heart righteous, that you would receive his righteousness. And from that righteousness then flows a life that's worth living. Jesus today... He's not just teaching something that is countercultural. He's actually teaching something that's counterhuman. Like we don't like it, what we're going to hear today. It just, it, it violates our humanness. It goes against everything we've ever been taught, everything we've ever known. It violates what the world tells us, and then to be honest with you, it also violates what some Christian leaders have told us. Jesus today just isn't giving you advice and me advice, but he is laying before us, his followers, a solution in responding to those that threaten our personal rights. This is a big one. This is challenging today. Especially, not just Christians, but especially for American Christians. What we're looking at today from Jesus, you may find yourself having a response like, like this is like fingers on a chalkboard, fingernails on a chalkboard. And it just, you're, you may have a really interesting response. But the teaching of Jesus today is probably the most difficult, but also it's, it's become one of the most more misunderstood teachings of Jesus. And we don't have time to cover it all. But I do want to read the whole text, and then we'll get into this message today. And so let's pick up the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. You have heard... 
that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asked you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain to the righteous and to the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? Which means those who don't know God. Be perfect, Jesus says. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's challenging today. Before we get to the heart of this message, though, I, I need to point out a couple things as I mentioned earlier, this passage has been misunderstood, and, I, and I, want to, I want to address that. First off, nowhere in the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus does he give instructions to an earthly nation. Jesus is speaking to God's children that are in God's kingdom, under God's authority, with the Spirit of God living in them as described in the Beatitudes. Jesus is teaching that his followers whose hearts have been made new, are to have the total opposite spirit of the world. These instructions from Jesus, hear me today, are not for a nation. They are for Christians that live within nations. A nation, a government, cannot be Christians. But individuals within a nation can be. It's impossible for an earthly nation or a government to bring the power of the kingdom of God to the earth. It's impossible. It's not written in the scriptures anywhere. That purpose and role is only reserved for believers on the earth through the work of the local church. The Bible does not say that Jesus is the great shepherd of a nation. The Bible does say he is the great shepherd of the church and Christians. The kingdom of God, the work of the gospel is not, was never ordained to be brought through a government, but it was ordained to be brought through Christians in the, on the earth, in a nation, changing the atmosphere because we understand the gospel. That's a place to say amen. Also, this verse does not call us to refrain from protecting ourselves or family from harm. Nor does it dismiss the judicial justice for those who violate the law and hurt people. Some have taken the phrase in the passage where it says, do not resist evil to an unbiblical extreme of pacifism. And they have interpreted that there, because of that, there shouldn't be any policemen, no military, no judges or courts, no punishment for crime. But as we all know, Maybe those people would even let tyrants and evil rule the land. That's not what this is saying. For me as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a man, as a Christian, I have a responsibility to protect. I have a responsibility to protect the innocent. I have a responsibility to have a voice for those who don't have one. So just so you're aware, I take the position of the, the old preacher, the old man, righteous man of God that came down the stairs and he heard someone breaking into his house and he said, friend, friend. He made his presence known. He says, I would do thee no harm, but just to let you know, thou art standing where I am about to shoot. Now, why would you clap for that and not clap for the other thing? Shame on you guys. But the guiding principle from Jesus is saying that the people of my kingdom are to put away malice. You remember, dealing with the heart, anger, and particularly today, in the first few verses that we're going to look at, revenge. 
The words of Jesus go against what we've been taught our whole lives. I think it's very important to evaluate where we get our way of thinking. What is the filter in which you see God? What is the filter in which, in the way in which you see the Bible? How do we see our lives? Because I'm telling you this, it's impossible to live in a world without that world impacting you, without that world influencing the way you see God. That's why Paul says out of Romans 12, he says, do not, do not conform to the pattern of the world, the thinking of the world, the process of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, meaning you will be influenced by the world you live in. In our society, these words of Jesus do not fit us very well. Listen, you don't have to do a deep dive into church history to find Christians at some time in history, let's see if we can find them, who, who are filled with anger and rage and anxiety and cries of, that's not fair, and loss of sleep because of lack of peace. You just need to be present over the last 12 months in our nation. If we could for a moment, friends, lay down our pride We can really evaluate ourselves. We can be, as Christians, a hostile group of folks at times, can't we? We like to carry chips on our shoulders and offenses in our bellies, and we are volatile. We love a good fight, especially if we can spiritualize it and compare ourselves to the perfectly controlled, the perfectly discerning, the knower of the beginning and of the end, Jesus Christ, who turned over tables that one time. It's interesting how as Christians, that's our one justifying verse and we ignore everything else. Why was Jesus able to do that? I'll tell you why. Because he's perfect. Because he, he's never done one thing unrighteous. Because he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, meaning that's his house. It's not your house. That's his. And they were ripping off the, the people of God and they were selling things that were extortion and it was, it was horrible. Jesus was perfect. So he had perfect emotion. He had perfect motive. He had perfect righteousness. And if you can check all those boxes off, go ahead, flip you some tables off, but over. But I'll tell you this, nobody can. Let's let Jesus flip the table and let us submit ourselves to the word. Before we go any further as well, I need to let you know these words today are probably the most difficult <laughs> words we could ever hear from the lips of Jesus. But also I need to ask you to do something for me Maybe you've already picked them up, but I'm going to ask you, can you just lay your arms down for this message? Take your fingers off the triggers of the weapons in your mind that you're waiting to, yeah, but. I would ask you to consider today that you may have fallen victim to a theology that's not biblical. It's a theology that's not biblical, but it's a theology that actually is American. What that means is we view the full plan and purposes of God through the filter of America instead through the filter of the character of God and the Bible. It's very easy to be influenced deeply by a world we live in, by our own humanity, and really by, by a nation that we love and we're grateful and thankful to God for. But we are not to be influenced more by that than we are by the truth of the word of God, the perfect word of God. And when you are, when you have a filter that's outside of God, outside of his word, what happens is you interpret scripture in a way that fits you instead of receiving it from that is God speaking. We, we, we like to, to, to see how it serves us instead of really just embracing what it means. So I don't know if you've noticed through the Sermon on the Mount, actually a lot of the sermons, it's been pretty quiet in this room. It's been pretty quiet in my own heart as I've been preparing because it's been deeply challenging. 
The Lord's convicted me in, in many areas of my heart. Remember, this isn't about the actions. This is about the heart. And what you find about Jesus is he's not tickling our ears. He's, he's not peddling a, a book he's wanting to sell and get on the, 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 some selling list. He's not flowing with culture or religious culture. He's actually doing the opposite. He's being countercultural. In the first few verses of this passage, Jesus starts messing around with my life and he sticks his nose right in the middle of your business and mine. Jesus began by saying, you have heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Listen, I've heard that. I've heard some Christians use that. Now, where did the people that Jesus was talking to, where did they hear that? Well, Exodus 21. God is laying the, the laws of, for the children of Israel. This is, what, this is what is said. If there is a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. In another verse, it says this out of Le Leviticus, anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, the one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. And then out of Deuteronomy, then there's this phrase, show no pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. What God was doing for the children of Israel when the law was written was creating guidelines to control, now listen to me, to control overreaction and excesses to a situation with their neighbor. Like if, if the goat, if their goat came over and ate my flowers, I can't go over and burn their house down. So the law was given that, okay, okay, okay. If the goat eats the flowers, then, and that's my goat, I replace the flowers. That was the purpose of it. Because many of us, when we just read this, you think, oh my gosh, it's like this command. Actually, it was actually to limit excess. So, so if someone parks too close to you in a, in, a, in a parking lot, you don't get out a tire iron and break their windows in. That's excess. One of the purposes of the law was to issue fair settlement if needed and restrain, now hear me today, to restrain revenge. The law was given to keep you from revenging. But the people of the time, Jesus is the, the culture in Jesus' time, saw the law that was given as the right and duty to revenge. And they moved the law that was given to protect and started using it to attack. And what Jesus is talking about in the beginning of this passage is challenging. It's going to challenge something that will make you very uncomfortable. And he's challenging. He's challenging this, which is going to be hard. He's in ch he is challenging the entitlement to your rights. It's very difficult. In this passage, Jesus calls us to surrender all right, he covers a lot of different things. He, he says, surrender your right to be comfortable. Surrender your right to be convenienced. Surrender your right to what you want to do with your possessions. Surrender your right to, do we do with our lives what we want for as long as we want, for when we want to. But we're going to be looking at the first aspect of this today. And Jesus calls those who follow him to surrender your rights. Number one, he calls us to surrender the right to be treated with dignity. That doesn't sit well with us, does it? Jesus says, you have heard that it was said eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. I want to clarify, Jesus is not talking about a fist fight. This is not a balled up fist. 
jab to the side of the head. This is not what he's talking about. In the Middle Eastern culture, a slap on the cheek was usually done by the, by the back of the hand. It was an insult to someone. You were insulting them. A slap on the cheek is it's really, in this context, is referring to an insulting comment. A slap on the other cheek is referring to another insulting comment. If you remember when we looked at Jesus when he was in, earlier in this sermon, he said, listen, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. Well, he's not talking about plucking the eyeball out and cutting the hand off. That's the same thing here. The slapping of the cheek is not a literal thing, but it is about an insulting, sharp, cutting, pulling down expression done to you. All of us have had that done to us. And somewhere, if you've breathed, you have been insulted. Jesus, knowing the condition of our hearts, that listen, we are ready to fight back. We're ready to slap back. We are poised to strike. Insult me, and I will insult you back. But you better beware. I'm going to cut deeper than you cut. And the heart of that is this belief. Nobody has the right to insult my dignity and get away with it. This is what Jesus is addressing in our hearts. I've always been fascinated by leaders over periods of time and seeing how they responded in crises. And I've always really admired Churchill during World War II in, in, in the UK. But when Cheryl and I lived there, I, 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 always, I was able to come across some stories that I'd never heard before. And, um, but something about Winston Churchill is that uh, his personality, how he said things, he was known for something, and that is he was really good at insults. He was good at it. For some reason, Churchill and another member of parliament, Lady Astor, did not like each other. And so on one occasion, Lady Astor said to Churchill, if you were my husband, I'd poison your tea. To which he responded, Madam, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. <laughs> On another occasion, Lady Astor found Winston Churchill. He was inebriated with a group of people in an elevator, and she said with disgust, Sir Winston, you are drunk. To which he replied, My lady, you are ugly. And tomorrow, I'll be sober. This is what Jesus is talking about. You get slapped on the cheek and you slap right back. And the truth is there's some of us who are really good at it. It became maybe a survival mechanism. But we're good at it. And, and to be honest with you, the more you do it, the better you get. The more wittier, the sharper you become. Your knife of insult slices because you've used it so much. And for us, if someone slaps us or insults us, we slap back with more force and more disdain. It's how we positioned our hearts. With the attitude, it is my right to protect my dignity. And Jesus is saying, is it? Must you, you must remember the purpose of Jesus inviting us into his kingdom is to actually give us a life that is worth living. To actually give us a life that is fulfilling. And Jesus asked us the question, is it really your right to protect your dignity? And a life that is at peace and at rest a life that's able to, to weather the storms of life, able to weather relationships, we able to weather ups and downs in social and economic and political climates. It's a life that has peace because they've surrendered their right to be treated with dignity. Jesus says, I have called you my children. 
to be different. In other words, give them the other cheek after they've insulted you. How do you do that? By holding your tongue. It's in all of us. A car cuts you off in traffic. So you whip out, go around them. Why? So you can cut them right back off. It's in all of us. A car runs up on you, right behind you. They're driving way too close. And just just to serve them, you just brake check just a little bit. Just to let them know, right? Or someone's looking at you with 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 a look of disdain and that's insulting. You don't look away. You say, what's your problem? What are you looking at? Or your spouse or your parent or friend said something that insults you, and you just come right back with an insult. Boom. What is Jesus saying? This is what he's saying. Don't. Don't do that. Jesus has called us to be different. He's called us to be salt and light. He's called us to actually have a family that has peace in it. He's called us to to go through life not with offenses in our bellies. He's called us to be people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Have you found yourself on the edge, ready with insults? Have you found yourself maybe even getting better at insults? God has given every single one of us over the last 12 to 16 months a gift A gift to learn how to receive insults from words of people and it not to provoke an insult from you. Listen, offenses are going to come. We've had opportunity all the time. Something in our hearts. We've seen it. Depending on what side you're on. You wear a mask, insult. You don't wear a mask, insult. You go to church, insult. You don't go to church, insult. Political climate, insult. We're ready. We are poised. You get a message, you you respond back, pow, boom. You're ready. You are sharpened. But Jesus said this. He said, that it is impossible that no offenses should come. In other words, it's going to happen. We will have lots of opportunity to be offended, to cancel, to avoid, to hate, to throw a backhanded, insulting comment. Nobody has a right to violate my dignity. As Christians, I want you to hear me for a second. If you don't hear anything else I say, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. As Christians, marked by Jesus, how we react to those who insult us is not based on who they are or what they have done. It is based on who we are and what Christ has done in us. Jesus is saying that those in my kingdom are to release the right to retaliate. The the Pharisees of the day were using the law as retaliation. Eye for an eye, vengeance. Ha ha, I get to take your eye now. Jesus is saying my people are to be free from those things. We are not to look for ways to get even, settle the score, give it back, plot revenge, I'll show you. Jesus says, when you want to verbally slap back, this is what he says. Don't. Don't do it. You're better than that. 
Maybe some of you now are still running. Yeah, but what about Jesus? He flipped over tables. It's my right. It's my right. Don't tell me. But the Bible speaks about those who walk in wisdom and those who are in God's kingdom. And we think, oh, no, no, no. It, does, it, do, it doesn't serve anyone any good to, let's, to let, allow someone to insult them verbally without standing up and fighting back verbally. Except for Proverbs 19 says, a person's wisdom yields patience. So patience comes from wisdom. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. God wants your heart to be a place of peace, a place of rest, a place of still waters, a place of purity, a place not of defensiveness, not of ready. You have your, you have your talking points ready depending on what topic someone's going to say. God wants your heart to be a place that's not full and ruled by all these things. He wants your heart to be a place that's ruled by him. A place of peace, a place of rest, a place that as someone insults you, you can see past their brokenness and have wisdom and be patient and overlook an offense because you think, boy, they're hurting. wonder what would cause them to say that. It gives you an opportunity to view people differently, not through wrong theology, through the right theology, meaning the study of God. The words, really, that come from our mouths when we defend, think about it, when we, to attack, to, to make our point. They never accomplish what we actually think they will in our imagination, do they? No, no Christian finishes really just laying it out point by point by point by point and just drawing a line, the insulting out of that spirit. Then when they're done, being like, boy, I feel better now. No one does. Think about the last time you did it. You didn't walk away like, boy, I just feel so lighthearted full of peace. Nobody says that. Jesus has laid this foundation of the life we actually really want to live. We actually really want peace. We really want to deal with this. Oh, God. The retaliation spirit. I'm going to win. And you don't have the right to say something about me. Questions for us, like, what is our home like for our families? Is your home a place where insults and verbal pokes fly around like good morning greetings? Jesus says, if you really want to live a life that's worth something, don't. Hold your tongue. As Jesus has been Going through this, the sermon, the whole sermon, he's getting down to our hearts. Man, I, I'd rather just keep Jesus out here. All right, see, Jesus, I did this. Good. I was, I was kind to the poor, and I fed the hungry, and I, I went to church, and I read my Bible. And, and Jesus like, yeah, that's great. What about your heart? Thanks, Jesus. I'll take care of that. But I'm showing you. See, I, I'm doing, I, here's my list. I did it. Jesus said, that, okay, I want this area right here. It's hard. It takes humility. It takes us laying our pride down. Even now while I'm talking, you're fighting. Yeah, but no, 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 no. Nobody, nobody's going to treat me without dignity and get away with it. Uh-uh, uh-uh. That's fine. But that's not what Jesus has for you. To walk in this peace that Jesus is talking about is to walk in this sense of centeredness and peacefulness. To see past the emotion and see past the, the hurts of my past. And many, many of us have been shaped really through 
I mean, you, you can be 70 years old and we're still operating out of a pain that we had when we were a four-year-old. Or a broken relationship along the way. And, and, and th- th- there was actually a time that, that you, you, you were in relationship and even in, in turmoil, you, you, were, you were more controlled, but then that person hurt you. And you made a judgment in your mind, never again will I let someone insult my dignity without standing up. Never again. And you positioned yourself. And you've thought it's been protecting you, but actually it's been robbing you of the life that Jesus has for you. Jesus invites you today to surrender that area to him. The words of our mouth. He's been getting down to the core of our hearts And a very good indicator just for us today of what's going on in the heart. Here's here's, here's how you know. Listen to the words of your mouth. Our words, our words carry the, the, the breath of our heart and soul into the world. When you are with your friends, what, do you, what, what breath are you carrying into the world? What, what, that, that represents your heart. No, that's, no I'm, just, I'm just processing. No, that is part of who you are. When you find yourself with your girlfriends, are you just talking on net? Can you believe this and this person, so-and-so, can you believe she wore that? How many of this? I can't believe he would do this. But, anyway, no, my soul's good. I'm good. I'm peaceful. No, you're not. The waters of your heart are tainted by something. Our words carry the breath of our soul and our heart into the world. Jesus invites us to change that. James 3 says this, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings. Have you cursed anybody the last 12 months? Cursed a political party. Cursed a people. Made fun of them. Cursed people. Rioting. With our tongue, we curse human beings who have been made in the image and God's likeness. Now listen, listen. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing my brothers and sisters. Now listen, this is, this, the reason why this is in the Bible is because this is something we got to keep in check. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? This spring, what's, what is that spring? That's your heart. That's what Jesus is getting at. And it's that heart that Jesus wants you to to give access to him to bring healing to it. To bring healing to the bitter waters of your heart. It may not be the bigger things going on. It may be relationship. It may be in your marriage. It might be in a friendship. It might be somebody in church. It's it's just something in there. It's the stirring bitter waters And Jesus is saying, let me purify the waters of your heart. Let me, let me, let let me, give me access to it. I want that, he says. Yes, but, yes, but but Jesus, I do this and that's great. But Jesus, I do this, that's great. I want your heart. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. He wants to purify the waters of our heart. And he does that. This is, this is how he does it. The key to purifying, the key to peace, the key to being confident and secure in who you are, the key to not responding and retaliating, the key to a, a, a peaceful waters of the heart is this. Surrender. You don't have the ability to calm them, but he does. 
And this today is an invitation from Jesus. Let me bring purity and calmness to your spirit and your heart. This isn't about avoiding truth. He's not saying don't be truthful. He's saying get rid of the retaliation spirit. Get rid of the backhanded. Get rid of the comments. Get rid. Why? Because those people are made in God's image. Obviously, he cares. The Bible says that shouldn't be. In other words, see them the way that God sees them, and you will not see them the way God sees them if you have the spirit of retaliation. Because when you were an enemy with God, he came and died for you. When he could have retaliated against you because you violated, you were sinful, you broke the law. He said, I've come to serve you. This is what Jesus is talking about. He wants to heal your, the waters of your heart that are in turmoil, that are, it, it, I mean, it's, it's spinning. And he wants to touch it today and bring peace. Let's pray. Father, we give you our lives today. Lord, we surrender the waters of our heart and we ask you to speak peace over it. Bring healing, Lord. God, I acknowledge today that there are areas of the waters of my heart that have been tainted by pain, tainted by experience, Lord, I confess today I have not managed my emotions well. If I felt it, I acted on it. Lord, today I acknowledge that the words that represent the breath of my heart and soul have not been life-giving. And that shows me, God, that I need to surrender. So, Lord, every one of us in this room, we acknowledge this area of our hearts, our spring, our soul, our, the waters, and we give them to you. We ask you now, God, to heal the waters. Lord, to dip your healing hand into the waters of our hearts where there are movements and violence and bubbles and whirlpools. Jesus, we surrender. And we say, bring peace to the waters of my heart. I receive your peace today. I receive your healing. I repent of my spirit of retaliation and I surrender the right to defend my dignity. And I take a step further in allowing you to conform me into your image so that I can live the life that I really want to live. So Lord, we submit our lives and our homes and our minds and our spirits to you. And we receive your word today. In Jesus' name. Just remain with your heads bowed. If you're here today and you'd say, I don't know Jesus, and I realize that if I was to die, that I do not know if I would be secure in, in eternity. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, nobody is looking around. Just raise your hand right now and receive the salvation of the Lord. Anyone want to give your life to Jesus? Let me see. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else want to give their life to Jesus? Just raise your hand. God bless you. Thank you. If you're joining us online, you can just respond to the Lord just right there, just as a physical act. Just lift your hand right where you are. And if you, gave, if you want to take the step today, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And the Bible says that if you believe this and believe in 
who Jesus is and you confess with your mouth that you will be saved. And we're going to all pray together. And let's all pray. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that you're the only son of God. And I put my trust in you today. I receive your forgiveness. I come into alignment with what you've already done for me. And I receive your salvation. I give you my life. Lead me and guide me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand today. Amen. If you gave your life to Jesus today, just want to ask you to do me a huge favor. Right in front of you is a Connect card. You can fill that out and just check the box. We want to help you take that next step, which is, which is growth track. If you want to know more about God and know, know more about the journey, you can get involved in growth track right away, and we want to help you in that. But I would love for you to fill that out and drop that in the, in the um, white bucket when you leave. Also, if you have any prayer requests, again, we really need, we want your prayer request. We want to pray for you. Even if you can't be here Wednesday, give us your prayer request so we can seek God on your behalf. Us as a church are going to be praying for each other as a church. Every 21 days of prayer, we hear of miracles and God moving in people's lives. That you're praying for people, you don't even know the name of them. But God moves because you prayed and he answers their prayer. We have an opportunity in front of us to move the kingdom forward in all of our lives. Amen? Let's all stand to our feet and let me pray for you and bless you today. If you can, lift your hands as just a sign of surrender to the Lord and receiving. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray your blessing over your precious people. God, I ask you that you would go before them, you would heal them, you would keep them. God, I pray that you would open up doors that only you can open, that you would bring financial provision in their lives that can only point back to a good God who saw them and came through for them because you were the God of goodness and grace. God, I ask you that you would heal their marriages, that you would restore anything that's been broken in between a relationship in their life that you want restored. God, I ask you that you would prosper them mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. May you minister to them and lead them and guide them as they live their lives for you. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen. Let's give God one more hand.